That's insane. Okay. Yeah. Holy shit. I'm like having a like breakdown right now. Uh, live on <laughs> live on air. Um. Oh my god. How am I supposed to recover from this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's dropping bombshells on me mid recording. When I heard it too. When I heard it too, I was like, what? What is going on, everyone? It's Hardcore Football. I'm your host, Phil Baki. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mika Burrell. Mika, how's it going? It's going. I'm so happy it's Friday. It's Friday night, and it it's is. been a hell of a week. So I'm going to enjoy us talking footy and then like probably go straight to bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> likewise. Likewise, honestly. It's been, it has been a crazy week, and like, the I mean, like we'll get into it, obviously, but it felt like it felt like the football this week was as chaotic as like our work, our lives, like all of the just stuff swirling around like the football really mirrored our lives this week. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, like football art imitating life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That is a I mean. There were fixtures on like a Tuesday. I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> We've got Premier League on Tuesday. We've got we got Libertadores just pop it off completely. We've got <laughs> midweek yeah. DFB Pokal matches like in just like yeah. in the snow in you know northern Germany like all kinds exactly. of madness. Um, yeah, it's just it, yeah, it it was just an insane week. And we'll get to we'll get to all of it, um, or a lot of it anyways. Um but I mean, if it is your first time finding us, welcome to uh to hardcore football. You can find us on all all the uh major podcast platforms. So follow, like, subscribe, whatever the platform allows. Um and, uh, yeah, hopefully you j- join in, come along for the ride and, uh, and you can follow us on Twitter too, at HXC football and get even more engagement content, whatever, whatever the, uh, the flavor is that you're after. So, um, Mika, I mean, we may as well dive right in to, I mean, most of our listeners, I think would know it as the Copa Libertadores, but for the purposes of this episode, it is the Tasa Libertadores. I love that. <laughs> Tasa, yes. For I mean, our, our Spanish speakers will know, but in Portuguese too, Tasa means cup. So yes, it's an all-Brazilian affair for the final. But uh, the road to that final was like just incredible. <laughs> it was this, this semifinal. I like these were two semifinals that were just unbelievably entertaining over two legs. Like, I mean, the Boca, the Boca Santos nil, nil, you know, at, at kind of a, a typical first leg semifinal, but the rest of the three games all had just like absolute madness around the chaos. And, uh, and particularly what I'm referring to as the Esteban Astoyed show, AKA <laughs> river plate to Palmeiras nil, Palmeiras advances three, two on aggregate. And somehow that doesn't even begin to tell the story. Oh my God. No, not at all. I'm still, I, I watched the highlights earlier today, like, you know, thinking you and I were going to talk about it tonight and I felt all the emotions all over again. And I'm not (laughs) even like, 
you know, heavily invested in either of these teams. But yeah. I mean, if you watch this game, probably unless you're a Boca fan, you probably feel for River because I, I really felt that. I mean, we said, you know, last time we spoke about it, if there was anyone who was going to pull off an insane remontada, it would be Marcelo Gachardo's side. Yeah. And they nearly did it. But I I personally think they were cheated. <laughs> <laughs> the The story of this game is told through the stats primarily in that as dominant and, and as Palmeiras was in the first leg, River Plate, maybe even more dominant in this game. They generate 23 shots, 11 on target. Palmeiras doesn't register a single shot on target in the game. Basically looked completely outmatched throughout and River Plate, even after going down to 10 men late on, um, were applying all of the pressure. Palmeiras not really able to get out. And like you said, River nearly pulling off the impossible coming back from that 3-0 uh, first leg deficit, the two early goal or the two first half goals, Robert Rojas and, and, uh, Santos Bore, like it really did have that feel like river plate. We're gonna, we're at least going to equalize in the second half. And it just between the couple of VAR reviews and everything, it was just a really, I don't know, stunningly almost, uh, it, it, it felt like injustice denying them a a shot at penalties at least. Yeah, at least I think they should have at least made it that far. I mean, I guess I'll start first with the tactics, which is kind of where you started um, Mm -hmm. and and talking about how Palmeiras have a shot on target. These tactics would make Jose Mourinho blush. I I don't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. It was embarrassing to see them sit back as hard as they did. And, and while doing that, not even being particularly organized, I mean, River Plate were still tearing them apart. Yeah. Um, and it was just odd. Like I, I didn't expect Palmeiras to get to be so negative. Yeah. Um, so, so that was weird. I think they really, allowed river plate to believe they could get back into this into this tie <laughs> which they almost i mean they kind of did but you know fell short at the end um so yeah that to me that was weird i just had to put that out there about their tactics i, yeah. I, I don't know what the idea was i mean i guess to just hang on to that first leg result but i mean they were correct me if i'm wrong they were at home right for the second leg so yeah. it was it was just odd um i i shudder to think what the re- reaction would have been if fans were in the stadium <laughs> Oh man! That, uh, from from their side, but uh, yeah, get, you know, getting onto kind of the drama, especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, the most, I think ultimately the the de- decisions are probably correct, um, but f- well, except for maybe the first penalty right. shout, I believe in the seventy fourth minute for mm-hmm. um, who was that? Uh, Matias Suarez, who mm-hmm. was, I thought clearly taken out by Emperor in the box. And it ends up being that VAR chalks the penalty off because he dragged his foot, yeah. which I, there was still contact there in the box and he went down. It's a foul. Yeah. I don't like, it's not an insane, like dive to me. Does he make the most no. of it? Sure. But I mean, dra- I've never heard of dragging your foot being like not allowed. That's right. very odd to me. I thought it was a, 
penalty, like Stone Cold. Like I watching it back, I'm even more convinced. Yeah. Um, their knees clearly, you know, Emperor clearly knocks his knee into into Suarez's, and so I thought that that was really bad. Um, <laughs> then yeah, there was the one, the third goal that was chalked off for offside, I guess, in the mm-hmm. buildup, I guess one of the river plate players came back from an offside position to play the ball. And it's so sad because that's such a nice cross. Yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. Then, yeah. And then Gonzalo Montiel's finish is really good too. So there was just so much good football that didn't count. Yeah. At the end of the day. <laughs> so I think, I think that that offside decision um, when Montiel, it seems like he's equalized it. The first off the finish is great. Um, as you said, the cro- the ball in is ridiculous. The, the finish is great, but the reaction of the river players are just like, it, it's so intense. Like in that moment where they look yeah. like they've equalized that it didn't in the moment look like there was anything, you know, to sketch about the goal, um, you know, Montiel's well on side, the ball's played from a deep position. So it's like, okay, yeah, you know, like good goal. And I think that's what leads to kind of the injustice or that feeling of injustice is there's the celebration, the players head back to the center circle and then the referee like has his hand to his ear and is talking to the VAR and the offside infraction like make no mistake. The player is off who like mm-hmm. when they go back and they judge, it does appear that he is offside and he, he does play the ball, but there's also about like three or four passes after that, before the, the ball, before the goal is actually scored. So I think right. it's, I think it's a technically correct decision, but I think it begs the question, like, is that the sort of thing that we should be doing for these? Because has he gained in having to come back for the ball? He's actually at a disadvantage to get to the ball by being offside, like by being marginally offside because he's behind a defense, like he's further from the ball. He He has to go further from the goal to get the ball. Like, that's what I mean. Like he's, he's not, gained any advantage from being offside. So why is that like taken into consideration? I understand it's the rule, but I think that's what was frustrating about the decisions on the night is the two offsides in particular. It's like you're technically correct, but at what cost to the actual game? Like that's, that's really what it comes down to. And obviously I'm not advocating like, Oh, a, a player clearly offside should be able to score or something like that. But in these cases, you know, you have a player marginally offside who plays a header like that is then passed around a couple of times. And then the late penalty decision in in stoppage time at the end of the game is a player who was in a marginally offside position attempts to play the ball doesn't. And that is ruled like offside. So it's, you know. I think it's just a lot of a lot of the gripes about VAR kind of came to the surface where the reviews were exceptionally long. Yes. And ultimately the decisions were unsatisfying because they were technically correct but didn't, 
you know, come from any sort of enforcement of the actual rule. It was just like these nitpicky kind of decisions that, that I think frustrate fans and take away from the spectacle overall. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, you know, at the top of the show, I said, I felt like river plate were cheated. And I mean that only in the Matias Suarez penalty shot. I still think yeah. that's a penalty. Like, 1000 percent yeah but yeah the offsides i have to agree with you they are technically correct but uh you know you asked that question at what cost and you know we have to think i guess about why offside is a rule it was it, it was implemented into the game to prevent goal hanging mm-hmm. you know and in the modern game like no one does that anyway no one goal right. hangs or at least tries to i mean there are strikers that play on the shoulder of course mm-hmm. but um in these instances you see that it's the rule that that is the issue. I think mm-hmm. in in the age of VAR and VAR is just ruthlessly exposing that. Sure. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of what we bargained for in a way, though, because there were these you know calls back back pre VAR mm-hmm. that were just outrageous. Like, oh, you remember that goal that won that trophy? Well, it was offside. Like these yep. conversations. You know what I mean? They right. they existed pre VAR, and now they don't because we're taking this like scientific view of the game. And I don't know whether it's right or wrong. It's just frustrating. Um, but the penalty for me is still a penalty. Sorry. The the sending off, <laughs> the sending off for river plate, I think is a shocking decision. Um, Robert Rojas oh, is, yeah. is uh, sent off for a second yellow card in what can only be described as like, he's doing the normal kind of grappling around going for, a header yeah. in, in the middle of the park and you know, the Paul Myers player he just pulls on his opposite man's shoulder and yeah. Okay, fine. But then you see, you see the Paul Myers player very quickly fall to the ground. And yeah. so, uh, he sold it quite a bit. I think that was a yellow if that. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah it's sent off unfortunately and down to down to 10 for the final few minutes. They or for the final 15. They, they weren't able to, to pull it out in the end, unfortunately. Um, Palmeiras through to the final and uh, I think it's a shame almost like how this played out because it's tough to be complimentary of Palmeiras because they played so well in the first leg, but they offered so little. It's, it's almost hard to celebrate them advancing. Like they put up so little of a fight. Yeah. I mean, I don't, as a neutral, I don't feel like, good about it if that makes any sense like <laughs> and, and and did anyone tell Palmeiras that the final was not two-legged anymore because yeah. <laughs> these whatever tactics they were trying to implement over you know two 90-minute periods you can't do that in a file it's a one-off so right. they're gonna have to show up the way they did in the first leg and you know and not try to I guess just park the bus of all buses like they did in the second so uh, Marcelo Gajardo, the, uh, manager of, of river plate, lot of chatter, lot of talk around him as potentially moving on, maybe taking a job in Europe. Um, what do you, what do you think? Do you think his, his stock has risen enough? Well, for sure. I mean, that he's, he's river plates, most successful manager in their history. I think judging by trophies, I think like 11 trophies in his tenure and Mm -hmm. he's been very very impressive and he's very young i think he's only 44 if i'm not mistaken so got plenty plenty of career left ahead of him and um tactically he's 
very fun to watch. He sets teams up in, in ways that are, you know, very attacking. That's the way he likes to play the game. And he's known for his kind of last minute changes too. you know, that kind of catch people out. Um, so yeah, I think there are going to be plenty of sides um, chasing his signature. Uh, I know as a player, he spent some time in France, made over hundred appearances for Monaco uh, in Ligue 1 and and a couple appearances for PSG too. So he speaks French. So I think, you know, you know, either France or Spain would be the logical landing spots for him. Sure. Um, but uh, I know, I know, probably in the Premier League, people are interested. I don't know. I don't know that he speaks English, but I mean, mm. certainly, I think his his football um, would translate in in the English game. Um, but I, yeah. I'd like to see him kind of start in France or in Spain. I think. Yeah. Uh, France, I mean, has such a has such a history with Argentinian managers too. I think, um, and now yeah. with Pochettino at PSG, you could have the you could yes. you know if he if Gajardo were to end, land at a at a place like well, I don't know about Monaco, but uh, but you know a uh, one of the big clubs in in France um, that could be really interesting to see him go up against Poch and. Uh, if if he lands in England, you could have the Marcelo Darby, uh, lead <laughs> leads versus uh, whoever whoever he. Were I know, to take I know. There were shouts, you know, uh, maybe a few years, a year or two ago, about uh, Gallardo to Everton, um, before yeah, uh, before obviously their current manager Ancelotti, uh, yeah, before Ancelotti got there. I think I think at the end of like the Marco Silva like train wreck yeah. we're talking about him um but i mean yeah or you know maybe he stays at river plate but i i i just feel like he's won everything there's to win i think except maybe the league if i'm not mistaken but mm, yeah he might be looking for a new challenge who knows in the other semifinal, uh we had santos versus boca juniors and in the year where diego maradona passed away I think there was a level of expectation around this Boca team, not just in Buenos Aires as there, you know, as you would expect, but in kind of a global sense, there was this expectation of maybe a super classical final final and and Boca, you know, representing Diego Maradona in the in the final. And this performance, like I, I don't want to be too dramatic about it, but the bottom line is that in an occasion like this, like it's pretty, pretty much unacceptable from Boca, like regardless of the, of the larger context. No, I don't think, Oh, I thought they were shocking. Um, just, <laughs> they never, it never really seemed like they had any extended period of, of dominance. I think maybe after like the first half hour, when they started to kind of bypass midfield is when they started getting a little bit more joy. But that midfield, I think was really the issue on the night. They were trying to be a little bit too cute on the ball, losing the ball to the plethora of attackers that Santos have at their disposal. Um, you know, hi, you know, high press and all that. Um, they, yeah, Boca were, were not good. Santos were very dominant from the start. And I, I never really felt like, they had it in them to to turn the tide in this match, um, uh, unlike River. <laughs> so, right. yeah, just a poor showing from from Boca. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I didn't count them out, really, because, you know, when you have Carlos Tevez, a man who thrives on adversity, 
um, I always give them a chance to turn it around, but they just really never could or tried to, I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of shocking to see that from, and, and from Tevez too, like just a, kind of a general lack of quality when they did get forward, it wasn't, they didn't look particularly mm-hmm. sharp. Um, and Santos grabbed the opening goal in the 16th minute. And from there, it just, it was kind of one way traffic for, you know, large periods of the game. Boca just really unable to kind of assert themselves. And, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it was still one nil, um, on the night and aggregate going into the second half. And then just a few minutes after the, after the halftime interval, Jefferson Soteldo scores a absolutely beautiful goal. Um, yeah. from outside the area, that curler just like it felt like a Libertadores golazo <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And from a five foot three striker with like a shock of blonde hair, like yeah. <laughs> that's, that's super Libertadores vibes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So Tello was, was excellent. Uh, it's between him and Marino for me, for men of the match. Um, you know, just peeking at Sotelo's stats after the game, um, he created the most chances and had the most tackles as a striker. <laughs> so, um, and then, of course, scored that, that screamer yeah. for the second goal. So, I mean, just an excellent outing for the Venezuelan, which just, you know, side note, I like to see Venezuelans kind of thriving because they're a nation that one of like a few nations in South America where football is not actually the primary sport. They're very much a baseball country. Right. Um, but to see someone in, from the Vino Tinto showing out is always nice. Yeah, no. And, and uh, yeah, stunning goal. Like if you haven't seen it, definitely go back and watch um, the highlights that the goal is worth the price of admission. Um, they added their third just a, a couple minutes later and it was basically game over um, in the 51st. But if <laughs> But a few minutes after Santos's third, this is, I, I feel a little bad laughing because this is obviously it's a disgusting like, uh, act and, and it should never be seen on a football pitch, but Frank Fabra <laughs> stomps on his opponent as he like goes past. Um, and it's blatant from the go. The referee yeah. shows him red, basically no hesitation whatsoever. Fabra has the audacity to make the VAR symbol and plead his innocence. And when seen back on VAR, like, I mean, I'm literally picturing a situation where like thinking back to these like shocking tackles throughout history. um, But I'm trying to picture a world in which, you know, Ryan Shawcross is going across asking for VAR, like having just shattered oh Aaron Ramsey's leg or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just like it was so brash in its, in his like denial of what occurred. Um, it added almost to the level of, you know, just horrificness of this cleated stomp on his opponent yeah he stomps on Mourinho's intestines I mean yeah. like it's <laughs> the the review watching it back I just cringe like it looks yeah. so painful and it's so he his the full weight of his body is coming down on Mourinho in that mm-hmm. instance because Mourinho's falling to the ground and, and Fabra's kind of 
falling with him, but yeah. with his feet, with his boot directly on, on his abdomen. And it, I mean, that to me is like a, a bannable offense. Yeah. I mean, that was so violent and unnecessary and just, uh, shows how frustrated they must have been on the night with their own performance yeah. um because they were terrible <laughs> yeah and that's i i think it it just put the it it put the dagger into this performance and it i mean to make it to a semifinal of the libertadores is nothing to sneeze at but to go out in this manner um for a club the size of boca is just it's embarrassing nothing shy of that they didn't score a goal yeah they didn't score a single goal. I mean, that's wow. Yeah, it, it was. Uh, I hate to use the cliche, but it, this is one of those times where the the other team Santos really wanted it more. It showed yeah. from the first whistle to the last. So, you know, big ups to them. So Palmeiras versus Santos. It's a Sao Paulo final in the in the Maracana, um, in in the Copa Libertadores. Um, January 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Mountain. But um, what's the vibe going into this? Like, how do you feel between these teams? What's the what's your what's your feeling of this final? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a great matchup. It's it's not the Super Classico that that perhaps some of the more neutral watchers wanted to see. Um, But I mean, these are two big clubs, big Brazilian rivals to Sao Paulo teams who will take, you know, face off at the Maracanã and in Rio. And they're two teams that finished top of their group. So, I mean, they're like two of the best teams in the competition. So it almost yeah. feels fair in a way that it ended up like this. Um, you know, me personally being Italian, I probably should root for Palmeiras since they were <laughs> founded by Italian immigrants in Brazil. But sure. um, with the way that they played, in the second leg of the semifinal, <laughs> I just cannot get behind that. I think, and even even so, I think Santos. I give Santos the edge just because they they really spread the goals around. I mean, they've scored twenty goals from eleven different players in the competition, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Palmeiras are pretty much relying on on Luis Adriano and Roni to score the goals for them. So um, Santos also have more experience in this competition. They last won it in two thousand eleven with a certain Neymar. <laughs> um, so I think Opesh will probably win this one, but, uh, we'll see. I, I th- I'm really excited to watch it and, uh, I'm glad it's on a Saturday. Like yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to be doing anything that day, but watching this match. So, no. um, so yeah, what, what are you kind of feeling on this one? Well, I'm feeling first and foremost that for those who follow us on Twitter or are listening to this and can see our logo, We've got green, one team that is green, one team that is black. And so this is the hardcore football <laughs> final right here in the hey. Libertadores. Um, <laughs> so that's first and foremost. But no, I think I think Santos obviously come into this like the way, like you said, the way that Palmeiras set up was so negative in that in that second leg that and I mean to be fair, they also weathered a bit of a storm in the first leg against river. So I think Santos in terms of the amount of control that they exerted, I think Santos are certainly coming into this, the, the stronger of the two teams. 
I think yeah. the the challenge is that whenever you face someone, and I think we've seen this, you know, we've seen this previously in the Champions League with you know Liverpool, Tottenham, and and um, and with like Spanish matchups too, like Atleti, Real, and stuff. The matchup itself becomes a little bit strange because the two teams know each other so well. So where you know Boca Santos could have gone a certain way just because of the a little bit of unfamiliarity between the two. Um, that's not going to exist. You know, these teams are very well versed in how each other play. They play each other in, in Serie A in, 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 you know, Brazil's championship. They play in the, in the Gaucho, uh, or the Sao Paulo state championship. Like they, they have all of these different, you know, forums where they meet. So I think it could take on kind of a strange, uh, vibe for a final, um, just because they they do know each other so well, so I think it might be a little bit more cagey than um, than what we've seen. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, sometimes I think the idea of a match is possibly more exciting than how it actually plays out. But sure. either way, I think it's going to be great football. And yeah, um, yeah, I think I, I give the edge to Santos a little bit, though. Do you? Do you 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 think I, I think from what you're saying, you think Santos might probably take it. Yeah, yeah, I favor Santos just because I think they're carrying quite a bit of of momentum into this one. Yeah. Um, and obviously there will be some league games in between, so we'll have to see. We'll have to follow the four True. leading up to the final because um, we got a couple of weeks until until the final kicks off. But uh, yeah, I think as it stands, I think Santos definitely hold the advantage. I was peeking at some of their like recent meetings in the league and. Quite a bit of red cards. <laughs> <laughs> so, Could be fiery. Yeah, let's see. I mean, it is a it's a local it's a local rivalry. Like, there's no you know, um, yeah. it's within the city, so anything goes, anything can happen. Absolutely. Um, as rivalries go we had a question from um patrick ariola on twitter will south american tv ratings plunge because there's no boca river final do you think that this impacts that at all just because of the weight of the super classico i'm not going to pretend to know offhand how much viewership they pull Mm -hmm. generally speaking but i do know that they that fox sports for example stateside they did break uh, records with the Libertadores final between the two super classical uh, clubs last time. So, I mean, I would venture to say, yeah, probably it's going to suffer a little bit, but I mean, in Brazil, all eyes will be on this one, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, and, and in South America in general, I mean, this is their, their champions league really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, you know, preeminent uh, continental cup, club competition. So, um, but yeah, I think for the neutral, it's more, uh, more, uh, less interesting, I guess you could say, but I, I'm very much interested now that I've, I've watched <laughs> the knockouts and just been like, bruh. Yeah, <laughs> no. And, well, and that's what I, I think, I think the overall, like the Libertadores this season has been like a, a fantastic advert for the competition yes. itself. And the promising thing about it is that it, if it's this entertaining, without fans in the stands like when those fans are allowed back in it's going to be just absolutely off the charts so yeah yeah and fans were still finding ways to like shoot flares in so <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> made us, the the broadcast started with some poor guy like stomping flares out on the yeah. pitch so <laughs> yeah the uh we'll one of the linesmen literally like 
kicking of or one of the assistant coaches i think kicking a flare off of the uh off of the field yeah um <laughs> so the last question uh and then i think we'll we'll take a quick break before we move on but the last question was from christian canales on twitter your your team in the club world cup final who do you want refing usl pro or the crew from palmaris river <laughs> Oh my God. I actually think that I would go with the crew from Palmetto's River <laughs> because yeah. at least, at least I, I would assume that if, if this question also involves what technology is available to them. And since USL pro don't have VAR, mm-hmm. they're like absolutely hopeless. They're yeah. hopeless probably even with VAR, but uh, <laughs> I'll probably take the crew from Palmetto's River. At least they are technically right. But the penalty man i'm just still upset that's a penalty yeah but i think I, I think that's i mean that's the only way to go because yeah like you said at, they at least got the decisions like defensively correct there wasn't just like some abhorrent like crazy missed call or something like that yeah yeah exactly usl pro refs are just shocking <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think we'll take a quick break and then move on from South America over to Europe. Sounds good. Welcome back, everyone. The We start, I think, the only place we can... Um, a shock defeat, the German double and European champions, Bayern Munich yep. lost uh, on the road in uh, at Holstein Kiel um, in the very northern wastes of Germany in the snow. Um, <laughs> two, 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 two draw after extra time and then six, five Holstein Kiel win on penalties. Um, this match was just kind of caught me out because it was on a Wednesday. Um, mm-hmm. But watching it back, just like absolute classic cup match. Yeah. I mean, this is what you watch the cups for, I guess, is to see these giant killings, these David and Goliath type situations. Um, although I, I want to put some respect on Holstein Kiel because they are fighting for promotion. They're doing pretty well in the, yeah. in the second Bundesliga. So they're not like you know, like totally a shocking side. Right. Um, I just want to say, I blame this result. Not that I care that Byron lost. I think it's fantastic, but I blame <laughs> this result on those ugly ass Pharrell human race kits. Oh. that look like they look like a six year old drew like a new England revs kit with like Rose art crayons. <laughs> like that's what those look like. Rose art. <laughs> Rosart, not Crayola Rosart. Oh no. <laughs> like they're awful. They're awful kids. Um <laughs> the uh well, like you said, Holstein Kiel, like solid side coming into this one, you know, for for uh Zweite Bundesliga, like uh, up there amongst the contenders. So certainly no slouch. This wasn't some like amateur team that beat yeah. Bayern. Um but Byron playing a rotated side or slightly rotated. And it looked like it was going to go kind of like how you did, how you'd expect 
goalkeeping error by keel and Serge Gnabry pounces and it looked like from there it's like okay well this is Bayern's yeah yeah I mean with the first the mistake that the keeper makes you're like okay here we go Bayern Dussel like they're gonna they're gonna win like they usually do if not if not by their own doing at least by the capitulation of the other side sure. um so yeah I mean that first mistake you, you you feel like it was gonna go downhill from there but they, you know, Holstein-Kiel kept fighting, and then they score the equalizer, and I'm like, that guy's familiar. It's Finn Bartles from Werderbremen. Like, I didn't yeah. realize he was still playing. <laughs> yeah. So that was surprising. <laughs> Finn Bartles uh, being involved in this is kind of insane for a couple reasons. One, he has legitimately has gray hair because he's yeah. been around the Bundesliga for a long time. Um and he's he played for Bremen for a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, and in every involved every game he was involved with against Bayern Munich, he had won zero. Is Un- that right? Until wow. this game, he had never beaten Bayern Munich. <laughs> and so he finally gets one over Bayern for Holstein Kiel in the in the DFB Pokal. Uh, but yeah. The, the goal that I do want to talk about, though, it, so it's 1-1, and Bayern get a free kick just outside of Holstein Kiel's area, and Joshua Kimmich, who is a well-known free kick taker, we know he can strike a dead ball, um, and him and Leroy Sané are standing over the ball, and you'd be forgiven for thinking this is Kimmich's all the way. And Lee Rice, Lee Rice and I scores an absolute screamer <laughs> from this yeah. free kick, uh, a shot and tour. If there ever was one. <laughs> yes, absolutely. A shot and tour. And like we were talking about in the break, it's so unfortunate because has been kind of in the mud at Bayern. Like he's had the uh, executive Byron execs kind of calling him out in the media, the fans kind of saying, you know, he's not, he doesn't have that Mia Samia attitude and just questions about him overall. And so for him to score this screamer and ultimately a losing effort, I mean, I think that is a shot in tour with all the context, (laughs) (laughs) with all the trimmings, all of it. Yeah. (laughs) It was a great goal though. My goodness. Top, top bins, like absolutely nothing. The keeper could do about that. It was, it was really like the way that that ball moved was, almost artificial like it looked <laughs> it looked computer generated that's how like clean a, like of a, a hit goal. yeah like it was so clean that it looked like someone programmed it to move like that um <laughs> it was unbelievable but it was not the end of the story because although byron took a 2-1 lead late into the game um holstein keel carry on carry on and as the clock ticks across into the fifth added minute of four, um, a cross comes in and how Caval, who is a center back is up from the back. They're throwing everything forward and he nods at home in off his shoulder. I'm pretty sure, uh, like doesn't really make a clean contact, but it loops into the yeah. corner past Neuer. And it was just absolute scenes in the snow, um, there in Kiel. <laughs> yeah, the snow was starting to really come down at that point. And yeah, it was a weird header because 
like it is the most loopiest header I think I've yeah. seen. Like just arcs <laughs> over Manuel Neuer, and it's you know just absolute scenes. <laughs> it was. Feel. It was like, yeah, it was just another one of those moments where you're just like, ugh. Like I feel so bad for Keel fans who had to watch that can't be there. from home. Like. Right. I would almost never say that in terms of like it was a snowstorm. You know, it looked miserable. It it probably would have been freezing to actually be out in the stands. Right. But I guarantee like any Keel fan would have would have given up quite a lot to uh to have been able to be there when when their team knocked off Bayern, but they they equalize late on and it goes to penalties. And both of these teams, I think it's safe to say, were absolutely ice cold from the penalty spot, like to match the weather. Yeah, to match the weather. <laughs> indeed, every every penalty had so much pace on it, except for the one that was rolled and uh, by yeah. the keel by the I think the fifth penalty taker for keel or something who rolls it and luckily picks the right side. But other than that, all of these penalties were like rifled home. Like yeah. just each, each guy knew what they were doing. And I mean, I, I don't know. It, I think, I think this is one of those ones where you wouldn't have been shocked either way who won, but yeah. I'm I'm happy it ended up the way they did. Now Byron can't defend their, their full cow crown. <laughs> yeah. And that is, yeah, the, the holders are out. Finn Bartles scored the winning penalty as well. Um, right. And, and uh, yeah, the, the, the one miss from Mark Roca um, kind of unfortunate in the sense that like, it wasn't a bad penalty. It was just a really, really good save. That, yeah, that's true. And, and <laughs> when I saw that he, he was the one that had, had had his penalty saved, I forgot that Byron had signed him. He's yeah. had, <laughs> such a hard time getting into this side and he's a very good player. He came, you know, from Espanol and kind of in that like Busquets holding midfielder role. But mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're trying to displace probably the best midfielder in the world right now. And yeah. Joshua Kimmich. So he's had a rough time and that, that certainly doesn't help <laughs> to, to, you know, be the reason why your team goes out. Yeah. The, uh, the winner now faces Darmstadt, um, who, defeated uh my my german club dinamo dresden uh in this round of the (laughs) of the pokal so i was thinking about the fact that you know in an alternate universe uh dinamo got a date with Bayern um in the (laughs) in the pokal if uh both of these (laughs) results were overturned but yeah um yeah keel get get a berth into the next round and against a you know a, a team in the same division as them so you know, yeah. decent, decent chance to advance, I guess, you know, in terms of getting a, uh, into the later rounds and quite a few second division teams, um, still involved in the, in the Pokal, um, at the expense of their first division counterparts. Yeah. I'd almost, I almost wonder if the, the, you know, first Bundesliga teams are kind of mailing it in this year, given how congested the schedule is and how they had a shorter winter break. I almost think maybe they, they think the Pokal is, an afterthought this season, but Mm -hmm. I mean, Hey, I I love to see the the smaller clubs doing well. So. Yeah. And so a really interesting, like really historic kind of win for, for Kiel and, uh, and Byron out. So there will be a new, uh, Pokal champion this year. Um, 
the while we're on the topic of upsets in cup competitions, one that kind of like flew under the or a little more under the radar, I guess, the Spanish Super Cup. Uh Barcelona had defeated Real Sociedad in on penalties um, to reach the final, to be the first team to reach the final. This is a competition that has most often just included <laughs> Barca and Real Madrid um, yeah. pretty predictably over the years. In the other semifinal, Real Madrid took on Athletic Bilbao and Bilbao able to see out the victory two goals from Raul, Raul Garcia and uh, the the Basque club is through to the final of the Super Cup. Uh, from from the former Atletico man and well, all while having 29% possession. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> an incredible feat. Obviously, I was hoping for a Basque derby Supercopa final, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, Athletic versus Barcelona is still going to be a good one. Barcelona have not always had tons of joy against athletic clubs. So I think it'll actually be a very good uh, matchup, but yeah, it's incredible for, for athletic to, to get the result with as little of the ball as they had. Yeah. And what, I mean, what a story too, for, for Raul to, to score against his, you know, old rivals uh, in, in knock them out. Um, That's just, and I think this is the sort of, this is the sort of thing that when I think about, you know, you talk about like, that's why you watch cup competitions. I think a lot of times over the years, we get a little cynical about the cup competitions where it's like, Hey, it's just an extra set of fixtures. It's just, you know, it's, it's just something else we got to contend with fixture congestion. And, and, and obviously like player safety is important. Um, but moments like Holstein Kiel defeating Bayern and moments like athletic, knocking off Real Madrid. Those are the reasons that the cups have to exist because in league play, you know, these teams are rarely going to match up over the course of a season. They're, you know, rarely going to match up in, in the sense of, you know, being able to, to knock them off, you know, for trophies. So the cups kind of remain that one Avenue of this sort of thing taking place where a team that isn't as favored, like does make the final and has a shot at silverware, despite being kind of like a middling and even bottom half sort of team in the league. Yeah, for sure. And and I think in particular, the Supercopa de España is a fun one because it's, it's unique as a super cup, you know, between the winners and runners up of La Liga and of course of the Copa del Rey. So it's just something a little bit different that, you know, for those of us who are maybe, you know, England centric or, or watch the other leagues, we're not used to. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I'm, I think the final will be a lot of fun as well. The, a big matchup today. And again, kind of on the topic of upsets, there was a few, a few fun matchups today, but the, the big one was, the Derby della Capitale, um, the Rome Derby, Roma Derby, however you want to refer to it, Roma versus Lazio. And I have to, I have to call out the listeners and our followers on Twitter. <laughs> I, uh, I have to, I have to, I have to expose you real quick because unfortunately you ran a poll, Mika, on Twitter asking who our listeners thought would take this this win midweek uh-huh. between the two Roman clubs. 
and we had like a solid 82% vote for Roma winning. Was it really that much? It was high. Oh shit. Okay. And uh, I knew it was mostly AS Roma and I, and you I guess you couldn't be blamed for doing that but No. And Continue. Lazio left our listeners firmly in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> Lazio ran out three nil winners and uh, two goals from Luis Alberto um, after Chiro Immobile had, had grabbed the opener and uh, just a, basically a performance from Lazio that was the picture of efficiency. Yeah. Yeah. Considering uh, they had 39% of the ball, um, but they made, a lot of chances and they capitalized on a lot of Roma's mistakes. I only got to watch the first half because I was uh, working, but I, I took my, I took my lunch break to watch this one. Cause I, I love a good Rome Derby and the first two goals. I mean, just shocking stuff from Roma, just yeah. casual on the ball, getting caught on the ball. Roger Ibanez firmly in the mud along with our <laughs> listeners to mistake back to back. Um, to, to give the goals to, to Chiro Immobile, of course, who else? And, and Luis Alberto, who's in fantastic form, yeah. uh, the former Liverpool man. So mm-hmm. um, I'm sure you kind of like to see that, Phil. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I mean, you'd be forgiven for picking uh, Roma to win this one, considering they've been in pretty good form and uh, sit third in, in the table. Uh, but Lazio, they just, they I think they kind of surprised them. Um, yeah. Uh, coming out, uh, coming out of the blocks, just extremely aggressive. Um, and yeah, there was really no one for Roma that that kind of stood out for me. Really, I mean, even Mkhitaryan, who's been Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini, kind of the the creators for this side, they just really couldn't do much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> it was just too much pressure. Um, I don't know how the second half played out, but just that first half was enough for me to say, yeah, I don't think Roma have it today. Yeah, I have to. I have to give. I have to give props to to Manuel Lazzari because mm. he was involved in basically everything that Lazio was doing from pressing. He assisted, I think, on the first goal, um, but he was winning the ball back. He was playing playing the ball into space, like finding and advancing the ball like where it needed to be. And so a lot of what happened for Lazio that that was good in this game all kind of started like a keyed <laughs> off of him. Um, yeah. So he doesn't show up on the score sheet or anything like that, but he he had just such a massive impact. I think the first goal is is off of his press. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, the, the third goal, he's got the hockey assist or whatever, you know, the pass before the pass. So um, so yeah, his, uh, hit, I just wanted to give him a shout out cause he was kind of all over without being, you know, present on the score sheet and my boy, Luis Alberto with two goals and two nice finishes <laughs> too in the, uh, you know, right in the corner. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. The, uh, one thing I'll say too about Latari is he's a really fascinating player cause he's, you know, 27 years old, but in his prime, but he only made his Serie A debut in 2017. Um, prior to that, he was playing kind of at the semi-professional level. So to see him yeah. coming up big at the Stadio Olimpico in a in a Rome derby is incredible. And um, it just goes to show that there's talent all up and down the pyramids. And yeah. it's cool to see players like this kind of, you know, break that 
that glass ceiling, if you will, I guess, and really show out for these these giant European clubs. The so the weekend awaits. It's Friday night, and there's still lots of football to be played this weekend. <laughs> Tons. All of it almost never stops. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about some of the big matches to watch this weekend. Um, and, and what we're looking forward to, um, personally for me, and I know for a few of our listeners, um, maybe for different reasons than, than me, the big matchup this weekend, Liverpool versus Manchester United, the Northwest Derby, uh, and now with Manchester United sitting top of the table, a genuine clash in the Premier League to like for someone to start maybe separating themselves or for Liverpool to climb back up. And I mean, this has found its way from being kind of a meme over the last few years into now this is a legitimate like title matchup. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge game. I think I think not even just Liverpool and Manchester United fans, but every football fans in general. This, it's been a lo- like you said, a long time since the Northwest Derby was truly relevant in terms of title implications. But geez, Manchester United come into this one on top, which is insane. Um, but it's at Anfield, mm-hmm. so. I mean, this is one of those matches too that I kind of talked about a little bit earlier where I think maybe we build it up in our heads and it ends up being much, much cagier than, than we think. And there's been a few of those between uh, Liverpool and United over recent seasons. So yeah. I'm hoping it's exciting. Cause obviously for me, I'm, I'm very much neutral when it comes to this, but uh, for the fans, uh, yeah, hopefully it's an exciting one. And um there's so many records too on the line. Like mm-hmm. for example, Anfield, the the unbeaten run at home. Like it, it's some of these records like begging to be broken. Sure. <laughs> Which I think if you're a Liverpool fan, might be a little bit nerve wracking. But I don't know. You think the the Reds have it or the Red Devils? I so it being at Anfield is is gives me a lot of a lot of confidence going into this one, and I think. For this Liverpool side, I think normally when you would watch a team that's been kind of like in and out of form and a little bit patchy, um, I think you would say like, hey, this is probably a good time to play them because they're maybe not like at their most confident best. Yeah. But with a Klopp team, I'd almost worry more if I was Mm. United, like about a response because this Liverpool team has not you know, obviously over the last couple of seasons, they have not gone on many like long runs without a big win or, you know, some sort of response. Um, so I just think it, you know, it kind of tells in some of Klopp's comments actually today um, that, you know, in his pre-match press conference, they talked about, they were just asking about how he was feeling about this matchup and, was he feeling confident and everything? And he just said, I'm really looking forward to this game, to be honest. I know Ollie said that this is the best moment to play against Liverpool. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> and it was like, damn, this man is yeah. motivated. Um, so obviously there's going to be huge incentive for United going into this game. And maybe they have the less to lose in the sense that like they 
are not, you know, they they weren't expecting to challenge for the title this year. I don't think so. They're maybe ahead of schedule in that, in that department. Um, but I think for, I think for Liverpool, they're, um, they're coming into this one thinking like it's basically a must win. Um, and being at Anfield and having the record and all of that, I think, I think it might be too much. And I, you know, I may eat these words and like, feel free to throw this back in my face, all of our United fan listeners. But the bottom line is that (laughs) like United United have not won a big game yet this season in terms of like against a big, a a big six team. Um, They have not beaten anyone. It's two losses, two draws. So like they're going to have to, you know, obviously they've played really well in the games that they should win. Um, and that's why they are where they are. But now, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road in the title race. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, it'll be, it's going to be a hell of a game and I'm going to be nervous as shit the whole time. Um, cause, <laughs> and it's been a while since I felt like that, but I, I genuinely do hate playing Manchester United for that exact reason. Like I've never liked it. It always fills me with just all kinds of horrible emotions um, and yeah, hopefully the reds come out on top, but the, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. And, and I'm, I'm really interested to see the, the, the team selection given Liverpool's kind of injury woes and United's in and out of four midfielder in the shape of Paul Pogba, who, mm-hmm. Apparently, if you dress him in Juventus colors, he shows up. But uh, right. if he's wearing maybe the away kit or something, maybe not. So we'll see. Um, you think you think United is getting a penalty in this one? So I I was laughing about the <laughs> idea of Liverpool getting a soft penalty um, against all teams, like because you know at some point like this is all going to balance out. That's what everybody tells everybody about refereeing decisions. Liverpool have now had eight goals disallowed by VAR and no penalties awarded by VAR. So the, our net, <laughs> our net is minus eight in goals. Uh, oh so God. I think, I think Liverpool may end up with a dodgy penalty in this one. And that will just be so, so sweet if that does happen. <laughs> well, you, you say it's going to even out, but did you see what Mark Clattenburg was saying the other day? Like, yeah, I wasn't going to bring this up, but now that you mentioned it, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he was basically, for those who didn't see it, Mark Clattenburg basically said that when he was asked if there is a bias towards Manchester United in the way that they have more penalties awarded than say other teams, um, he said they don't, they don't have the bias or they don't have the, the mystique that they used to have like with that Sir Alex, with Sir Alex. So it it's worn off. So basically he just eased. said like the, the word he used was eased. Yeah. Not even eased. like eliminated, but yeah. eased like <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. So basically he said, yes, <laughs> there is a bias. <laughs> <laughs> and this is why he fucked off to, Saudi Arabia, wherever the hell he is. Yeah. Yeah. It will be, a, it will be a fascinating matchup and United come in in good form. Like it's, you know, you can't, you can't knock it. They've been winning some tough games. Um, I think the last couple of games they've been, you know, um, 
I would say not at, you know, it hasn't been like stellar. They haven't looked like they haven't played anyone off the park. Um, it's a couple of one nils, which like you have to win those, uh, if you, if you want to win the league. Um, but these are the games where like the test really, really comes. And I mean, we've seen over the past, you know, in these matchups between like Liverpool and city, um, like city came to Anfield last season, looking, you know, to, to get back into the title race and, and got, um, hit with a three nil. Um, so I don't know. We, we will see. For sure. It'll be a good one. The, the other big match, uh, towards the top of another table down in Serie A in Italy, Inter Juve. Um, so Juve doing a quick kind of back to back, um, of the two Milan clubs up towards the top. This is the 175th match between these two teams. And uh, Inter have or Juve have beaten Inter eighty four times, which is the record for any team against any other team in Serie A. Wow! Juve have beaten Inter more than any team has beaten any other team in Serie A. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, I mean it's it's the biggest match in Italy, I would say. Um, the Derby d'Italia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Juve were very impressive last time out against AC Milan and Inter have been, I, I, I don't know, like they're, you know, the table tells you they're second, but I, I just feel like every time I watch them, like they're getting results, but it doesn't even, it doesn't look like a Conte team. Like they're mm-hmm. conceding quite a bit. I mean, scoring quite a bit too, but like, it's just very strange. So I don't know really what to think i almost think juve might actually do the double on the milan sides um and and try to get themselves above uh roma and the table so i will definitely be trying to watch this one too i think it might be on relatively around is it is the uh liverpool united is that 10 30 or what time is that because i I might have to double screen this bitch (laughs) (laughs) yeah so on sunday liverpool united's at uh 11 30 eastern so 9 30 uh mountain and uh Inter Juve is at two forty five uh, Eastern, so twelve forty five. Forty five. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So yeah. basically, Inter Juve kicks off like right after, um, right after Liverpool United ends or around that. You know, there's a there's another derby in England this weekend. Oh, that true. Our friend Christian might be interested in the Black true, Country Derby. True. Yeah. Yeah, That's I forgot it. to mention. It's super early in the morning, but a big one because West Brom are, you know, trying to get out of the the relegation places and Wolves have not won since I don't even know. Like <laughs> they have what, they've one, basically been at sea since Raul Jimenez yeah. got one, hurt. One win in eight, I think, was the stat you floated. Um Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So that's that's a big match. Yeah. On top of being a, a very hotly contested derby. Yeah. That's uh, yeah, I uh, I overlooked it only because I have written West Brom off uh, as a football club ever since the draw <laughs> against against Liverpool. So, oh, they're, they're canceled. <laughs> yep, they're done. Sam Allardyce <laughs> is is out. 
Um, <laughs> we found his old tweets. Um, Stop it. Oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, he's actually a Wolves fan. Did you know that? What? Yeah, he's a self-described Wolves he's fan. He's a Wolves so. fan who's famously managed like every other team in the Midlands. Like, yeah, <laughs> he's managed yeah. Blackburn and freaking West Brom and everyone. Yeah. Everybody but wolves, <laughs> like <laughs> Bolton. He's been like all over. The, like that's insane. Okay, yeah. Holy shit! I'm like having a like breakdown right now. Uh, live on <laughs> live on air. Um. Oh my god! How am I supposed to recover from this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're dropping bombshells on me mid recording. When I heard it too. When I heard it too, I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> Says yeah. who? Like. It's no, weird. That's that's kind of crazy. Um Okay, another matchup. I I I wanted to look to this matchup. Uh well, looking to I guess like to round out the Inter Juve stuff. Um a couple of like weird stats uh is that Juve haven't lost in 9 of their last 10 at Inter. And at the, Inter, so at Sensito. Yeah, and then the only win for Inter in the last 10 against Juve at home was in September of 2016 in a 2-1 win under Frank DeBoer. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that really doesn't... But I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, I, I think Juve probably yeah. win. Like, I, I'm saying, like, 3-1. I, I just think the AC Milan result will really give this team a boost. And I yeah. think that Andrea Pilo is finally figuring out what his favored 11 looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, Federico Chiesa looks unplayable right now. Dybala is chipping in. Yeah. Um, Kulishevsky off the bench. Ronaldo likes these big games. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and inter inter kind of stumbling, um, you know, they haven't they haven't won uh since their demo- demolition of of Crotone at least in the league they they defeated Fiorentina right. in the Copa but um but they lost to Sampdoria and then drew Roma um in their last two league results so kind of right. stumbling into this one a bit um and it'll be interesting to see how they handle it um a matchup that i wanted to point out like as we were going back uh we're floating around um, and looking at Germany, I wanted to highlight this one be- for two reasons. Frankfurt Schalke, um, because one, I wanted to give it a, a chance to talk about the fact that Luki Jovic is back with the Eagles. He is indeed. The prodigal son returns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back from Real Madrid and, um, and, into a Frankfurt side that is actually playing pretty well at the moment. Um, they've gotten some decent results and they're not like flying high in the table or anything like that, but he could add something pretty special if he, if he can get back to his, his, uh, fluid best. Yeah. I, I remember when I, when I saw the, I remember thinking when I saw the announcement that he had gone back to Frankfurt, I'm like, you know, hopefully he can re- rediscover his form. And then I was like, well, that's not really fair to say. Cause he didn't really have a, get a chance at Real Madrid. Right. So, um, so yeah, I'm hoping he can at least play well. I won't say rediscover his form cause mm-hmm. there's no form to speak of really at, at Madrid. Right. 
um, being that Karim Benzema just decided to go God mode once he saw he might be replaced. Um, it's a very different side than the one he left that had Rebic and, mm-hmm. and Haller kind of playing off him. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll see. But, I mean, he still has Daichi Kamada and, and other good players there that can create for him. So, I'm, I'm hoping that he does well. Um, and, I don't know, maybe they buy him back i don't know i think i mean real madrid seemed like they're done with him <laughs> um, <laughs> unless something catastrophic happens i guess in the striking department the reason i bring this matchup untracked frankfurt versus schalke is schalke finally break their long winless streak in the bundesliga 30 matches um 31 being the record for tasmania berlin um Schalke break it with Matthew Hoppy, the new striking sensation, uh, <laughs> American teenager who scores a hat trick uh, for Schalke in their in their win last weekend. So Jovic or Hoppy, who who's the star of this of this upcoming game? <laughs> well. Mm. I don't know that Jovic starts this no, one while I think Hoppe actually might. I mean, how can you not start him after what he just did? So I, I'm going to go with the, with the U S boy. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting reports floating around Schalke too, uh, about a return for a, a club legend, Klaasian Huntelaar, who I saw that is currently at Ajax. Um, and he heard about the potential to link up with Matthew Hoppy and that, and was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> no. <laughs> or more realistically, Sebastian Allaire came and has been absolutely insane yeah. for Ajax already. Yeah, he, uh, that, w- that would be fun. Yeah. Huntelar uh, was asked and basically said that he, that Ajax don't need him as much as Schalke do. And he played, he's like, these are my two clubs. Um, and Schalke needs me like type thing. So he, I think the return could be on the cards and I think that would be just a nice, I mean, I think in these sorts of situations, Schalke really are looking for like the leadership more. So like, obviously these are talented players, but you saw the impact of, uh, of Kolasinac coming back and captaining the side and winning, you know, winning that first match back. Sure. But there's a certain level of, of that experience that was kind of lacking in what was a pretty youthful Schalke side. And now, you know, maybe it is just that guile and that, and that experience that they need to get out of the relegation zone and, and stay in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, obviously, it's always exciting when a young gun like Hoppy comes in and immediately makes an impact. But young players are always going to go through like, you know, peaks and valleys of form. And I mean, if the price is right and if the the outlay is not too ridiculous, then I mean, you could certainly do worse than Huntelaar. And he's he you know, he's going to score in the Bundesliga. He's done it, Um, you know, good goal scoring pedigree and has been keeping fit at Ajax. So yeah, why not get the band back together? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that, and and it's worth pointing out, like that uh, Schalke as well have the ability to go just a point. If Cologne don't pick up points this weekend, they could 
you know, be a point from the playoff spot. And after being, you know, doomed to relegation, Schalke could be, could be climbing out, you know, if they can string yeah. a, a, a few results together, there are a few teams around them that are not exactly, uh, not exactly lighting the world on fire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to that one too. Real quick though. Yeah. Can I just do a roundup? Cause there's a lot of derbies going on this weekend. Do and it. I want to let the girls know Derby roundup. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had, of course, the Derby Capitale today yep. that ended you No know, Lazio. We had a Clasico today between Porto and SL Benfica that ended 1 1. Oh, nice. Someone for Porto got sent off. That's always a spicy one. Of mm-hmm. course, uh, West London Derby, Fulham and Chelsea, mm-hmm. obviously very weighted in Chelsea's favor in recent yep. years, and, and they haven't always played in the same division, but that's always a good one. That's where Chelsea's actually in Fulham. So, yep. Uh, what were you going to say? Uh, I was just going to say, like, uh, that's a really spirited derby where um, the sets of fans, like, uh, throw their uh, pocket watches and, like, beat each other with canes um, <laughs> and, like, uh, yeah. you know, adjust their monocles at each other. Um, that is <laughs> is a family affair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So in France, we've got the Derby de la Bretagne between um, Stade Brestois and Stade René. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. Yep. The Classicer, Ajax Feyenoord. Ooh, Ayo. good call. <laughs> that's on ESPN Plus, most likely. Yep. Um, the Istanbul Derby, Besiktas versus Galatasaray. Oh, man. Uh, you know, Turkish League, if you're, if you're feeling nasty. Yeah. Um, this one, I know our listener, Jake Konecki, will like the pack derby, Wolfsburger AC versus SK Sturm Graz in Austria. Um, where else? Who else? Colo uh, Colo versus Universidad de Chile, the Chilean Super Classico. Oh, my God. Derby's <laughs> um, all over the us. shop. Yeah, dude. And then, of course, the Darby Palista, which is Palmeiras Corinthians <sighs> this weekend in Brazil. So just – and there's more. Like, uh, these are just the – the ones that I picked out to yeah. let y'all know, but goodness me. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> like someone, someone, uh, planned it out and yeah, you add that on to the, to the Derby dell'Italia and the, uh, and, and the Northwest Derby. Like it is just a pile of derbies out here. Yeah. 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 For sure. Amazing. <laughs> um, well, we have a couple of listener questions to, to answer. So you, what do we say? We take a quick break and uh, and come back and answer those, and then we'll close things out. Sounds good. Welcome back. All right, Mika, we got a couple questions from the listeners. The first one, we'll start out uh, with with Roland from Twitter. Just asks. Uh, your take on Waza and his retirement. Um, for those who don't know, Waza is a is a loving nickname for one Wayne Rooney uh, from Manchester United and maybe Everton fans. I don't know, um, <laughs> but Wayne Rooney uh, announced he's retiring from playing football. He he'd been the player slash caretaker manager of Derby County uh, ever since. Uh, Philip Koku, the uh, Romanian manager, was was sacked in November. So um, 
Wayne Rooney, obviously legendary player for, for Everton and Manchester United, um, less well known for a stint, I guess at DC United in the States. And then, uh, he went back to Derby County and has been there for the last couple of seasons. What do you, what do you make of, of him retiring? What do you think of this, uh, this appointment as the full-time manager at Derby County? What's, what's the future hold for Wayne Rooney? Yeah, I have to say I was surprised when I saw it come across my my timeline that he had retired because I guess in my mind he was already semi-retired. So I feel like maybe for me at least it didn't have the same impact that it might do if he had just straight out retired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's good for Derby County, I think, because they are in the basement of the championship and could really, I think, use a lift in terms of Wayne, maybe just focusing on the management side of it. Um, mm-hmm. I've not watched a single minute of Derby County though. So I, you know, can't charge me with knowing anything about how their season's going, but uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously an incredible player won everything there is to win in the game. FA cup, EFL cup, Premier yeah. league, Europa league, champions league, all of it. Um, and uh, he was world-class as a forward and as an attacking midfielder, which I always thought was very, uh, impressive. And I think something that extended his career and, and perhaps if he hadn't started playing the men's game, at such a young age, he mm-hmm. might actually be playing longer than he might, might have been. Sure. But, um, you know, you mentioned his stint at DC United kind of, uh, you know, as a joke, I guess, but I, I, I have to give him credit for not mailing it in an MLS. I think mm-hmm. he actually did really play well uh, for DC United. And I mean, we all know the, uh, the famous uh, 40 yard dash for the tackle to then crossed <laughs> for yeah. the, the winner yeah. against Orlando city three, two in like the 96 minute. Yeah. Incredible play for a man towards the end of his, his career. And, and with, you know, so many miles in those legs mm-hmm. um, he's, he just was professional, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how he does as a manager. It's, it's really interesting to see uh, all these like legends now, managing yeah. um lampard uh stevie g wayne rooney all of them <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's so weird uh makes me feel old honestly yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's <laughs> i think this is i'm like damn this is what it feels like you know to because you see the pundits when you start watching and everything and they're from a bygone era that you never you know that you mm-hmm. know you never saw them play you never like knew them or anything. So now, you know, for the pundits to be Jamie Carragher and, and Gary Neville and all the managers are players that (laughs) played like since I've, you know, been following, it's now like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, this is what it's like to age. Um, anyways, (laughs) like I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we, I think this move was obviously in the cards. Um, with him being the caretaker manager of Darby for the last few months and Darby had picking up some positive results with him. I think it just makes sense. As you said, like for him to kind of focus on the management. Um, it's interesting. You know, I think, I think in terms of the way that we think about managers forwards are not always like thought of in that way. I think we always kind of think of the more cerebral kind of players, but like you said, Wayne Rooney's adaptability and the way that he was able to to change 
during the course of his career from being, you know, a, a number nine to now he's, you know, he was dropping deeper into midfield and, and able to link up play more. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, sky's the limit. And now that he has had the Derby job, we know that he will be ready for a premier league job in exactly one year, regardless of the <laughs> results. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I expect him to see, I expect to see him in the premier league, uh, and for Manchester United, um, because this is just how it works. You coach one year at Derby County and then you get a job at the club that you're a legend at. So, Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's worked perfectly 100% of the time. So, Oh my gosh. (laughs) I don't know why, but I, I, I look at Wayne and I'm like, I feel like you're, you'd be a decent manager. I don't know why I think that though. Like that is just totally not based in anything factual. I I look at Wayne Rooney and I think I hate your fucking guts um, (laughs) for everything he did to, to Liverpool over the years, being an Everton and Manchester United player. It does not get lower than that for, for a Liverpool fan. But no, I, I can obviously respect the fact that he, he was a fantastic player and, and he deserved, you know, he's earned his shot as a manager and, and um, we'll see how his career pans out from here. I'm sure, you know, his, his dream is probably to end up at, at uh, Manchester United, but um, long, long road um, from Derby County, unfortunately, because I don't think Wayne has uh, the, the familial ties that, uh, that Frankie, Frankie had. (laughs) Oh my gosh! We're gonna get canceled by Chelsea fans. Oh, sorry. It's just you know. Hey, I can't. Uh, I cannot tell a lie. I just. I just call <laughs> it like I see it. Um. So the the last ca- question that came in was from Jake Kanaki, and he asked. This isn't really related to any of those things. Talking about the things in our tweet. Um. But since it's transfer season, which it officially is, you know, as of the first, mm-hmm. um, can you all explain how transfers actually work? Do they buy the current contract or sign a new one? And Mika, I don't know how much you dove in to transfer business, but I think I think we can provide some some uh, insight on this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, typically, uh, my understanding is the contract uh, when a player moves club the contract that they are currently on at that time is canceled Mm -hmm. and then they sign a new contract with the new club. And so, I mean, you can think of the transfer fee as the fee for canceling that contract almost. And that's why it's so important. That's why you hear in football oftentimes um, players or, or clubs talking about extending contracts to protect value. That's Mm -hmm. why, because if a contract is running down, you know, the player has a lot more leverage and they can just leave, for free um, or on a Bosman ruling, which, you know, is a pre-contract. So yeah, typically they, they cancel the contract and start over. And in, you know, legally speaking, it's a lot cleaner that way anyway, especially when, uh, when um, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you know, inter inter country transfers and stuff like that in between different leagues. Whereas, you know, in, kind of our closed league system here in the United States, it is very much, you are buying contracts, you're buying and trading contracts. Mm-hmm. And so you're, those aren't being canceled. You actually are purchasing those contracts because you're in a closed system. And so, right. um, you know, in a closed system and, and salary cap and all that. So it is quite different, but no, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not one that I guess 
you would intuit, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's typically how it works. Yeah. Basically like that transfer fee is like, here's how much I will pay to void your contract. Like, yeah. for, and that's essentially what the, the club is accepting as compensation for that contract being, being null and void now. Um, and, uh, you can also see, like you said, people will run down their contracts, but you also see some people sold at cheaper prices if their contract has less time remaining on it. Right. Um, so if someone's locked down to a five-year deal, they're going to be sold at like their, you know, above their market value because you're paying not only for their current value or their current ability, but you're also paying for their potential, you know, five years from now, because that's how long the contract runs. Um, so that's where you start to see like pretty inflated transfer fees. Whereas you're like, man, how did a team land X player for so little? It's often because like their contract has, so maybe they only have a year left or six months left on their deal. And they're like, well, I'm about to start being able to negotiate with other teams. So they're like, well, we may as well try to get something if he's going to run down his contract, um, and won't sign a new one. So Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, a, that just happened with uh, Christian Eriksen. I mean, yeah. a player that probably is worth more than Inter paid for him, but the contract was running down, and Daniel Levy said, I need to do some business here. I can't just let him walk out. So, yeah. yeah. So that that spurred – this question spurred a, a question for me before we, mm. before we really close things out here. It, the, and the question I have is, if you could sign, if you could sign one player – for your for your club arsenal in this case if you could sign one player for your club who who would you sign in this in this january window if you could sign anybody who would you go out and get for arsenal like realistic like a Uh, realistic target or yeah i mean not not like oh you know go grab not like messy yeah okay i'd go back Um, in time and grab vintage pele or whatever like (laughs) okay so like realistically um I mean, I think that the emergence and of uh, Emil Smith Rowe has been great. Sure, don't get me wrong, but I think you see the limitations that young players have with this recent result against Crystal Palace, nil nil. Mm-hmm. He really couldn't do much with that. So I think that a creative midfielder is still very much at the top of my wish list as an Arsenal fan. So, um, you know, if I could get someone that I think would provide that creativity while also probably adapting to the Premier League relatively quickly in terms of their athleticism and then their build, I'd probably go maybe Julian Brandt from Dortmund. Mm. Um, he's tall, he's quick, uh, he's creative, he can yeah. shoot, um, you know, just pretty much everything you want in a modern attacking midfielder. He can even play out on the wings or as a striker. <laughs> so yeah. um, he's someone I think that Arsenal could really – do with i i don't i understand the links to like emmy buendia and players like that but i mean he mm. plays out wide in, yeah. on the right in a place that we're very stacked with mediocrity at the moment um <laughs> so uh, yeah i i think uh brant would would be the one what about what nice. about you who would you sign for liverpool i mean i'm gonna tell you i think i think you'll like my answer too um, okay because so this is someone that they have been linked with recently and Liverpool have since like kind of rubbished the rumors, which tells me they are 100% planning on signing him um, okay. <laughs> because they, they always do this where they're like, no, absolutely not. And then 
they saw. So I don't know if it'll happen in January, but the emergency need at the moment is at center back. But I think Mm. broader than that, like we have an issue of availability at center back between our two second choice or, you know, our second and third choice center backs. So Virgil van Dyke, obviously being out, you can't really plan for a, an absence like that. But Joel Matip and uh, Joe Gomez are not available like frequently enough to warrant being at the spot they are without suitable coverage, like being signed as well. So we really need another center back who will be healthy. So my choice, and this is, you know, been floating around the internet for a while, but Sven Botman from Lille. Okay. At, at center back, he's pretty big and he wins a lot of aerial duels, which is actually an area that Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool often struggle at um, when Joel Matip's not in the side. So um, I would try to replace that, you know, because Matip is hurt so frequently. I think um, I think Boatman would be a good uh, a good solution in that way. Yeah. And he plays he plays for Lille, um, and you know Lille obviously flying at the moment, so it might be tough to pry someone like that away um, from a title race. But you know, I think if I think Liverpool are kind of at that stage now where they you know if they have the funds to complete the transfer they could probably get it done that that's a good one he is left-footed too which i think would be something to add to your your defensive line yeah um i I, i'm I'm, i find that interesting i thought you were gonna say kabak from so so kabak is also an option um i I don't know if this is, this is is certainly not scientific, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) the beginning of the Schalke season and, and maybe Kabak will grow as a player from it. Maybe, maybe he will like be okay. But any player involved in this first half of the Schalke season, um, it carries a stain on them in my mind now. (laughs) Like there's oh, this man, they're wearing like a scarlet S like but, on the, <laughs> you know, but, but Liverpool like to buy from relegated sides. Oh yeah, absolutely. But there's something, gosh, I don't know. Okay. So the relegated players that Liverpool have bought, um, previously or in recent memory, um, Jeannie Wijnaldum when, when Newcastle went down, uh, Jordan Shakiri, they bought from Stoke when they were relegated, um, which is still a weird sentence to say that Shakiri <laughs> played for Stoke. Like that's very odd. Um, and so they do like to pl- to buy from from relegated teams, but I think it's easier to buy like midfielders and attackers from relegated teams. Yeah. I think when you buy a center back from a team that was just like shipping goals for fun earlier this year, it's like, there's a little bit of something there where they were capitulating like quite frequently (laughs) to teams. And there's just something there that, that concerns me about, about Kabak's 
like mental side, not necessarily, Ah, not necessarily any, anything technical about his game, but like for it to get as bad as it did, like what was going on with him. And he also like, he also was getting sent off. He was like making mistakes earlier this season. So I think mentally he was just in a, in a rough spot and maybe the speculation like affected him because he was linked with Liverpool over the, over the summer. So maybe, Maybe there was a a little bit of of that at play where he's like not really focused on the task at hand, but that does concern me. Like the the underperformance to the degree that Schalke did concerns me in a player that that Liverpool might target. That's fair. That's fair. And I mean, Sven Botman, I think if you brought him in, it would be understood that he's depth when better guys become available. So that's probably the the more sensible transfer, I suppose. So yeah, that just like Jake's question, like sparked a, a transfer question of my own. So, um, yeah. yeah, this is probably the most boring January window though, just cause everyone's like strapped for cash, you yeah. know? So <laughs> no one's got money and no one actually <laughs> wants to go out and take a risk. Uh, and no one really can take a risk. So yeah, it's going to be pretty quiet. I think overall, there's no, not a lot of blockbuster deals that are going to get done. Right. Exactly. So the, the last thing that we do each week, uh, for those who are new, we, uh, have our sounds of the season, Spotify playlist, um, where we are hardcore football. Um, and me and Mika like (laughs) have bonded over our love of eccentric, like, uh, rock music, um, of all genres. So, um, we add two songs to the playlist each week, uh, or each of us add two songs to the playlist playlist each week. And, uh, you can find it on Spotify. If you search sounds of the season and there's all, um, all types of songs on there. Now it's been building and building. It's like hours of music now. Yeah. It's like four hours of music now. It's crazy. So, yeah, you can check that out and you can follow that as well. In addition to following our podcast on Spotify, you can follow the playlist and pop it on. It's a good little road trip, road trip playlist. When you uh, pop it on shuffle, commute playlist, whatever you'd like. For sure. Um, so Mika, what do you got this week for additions? Yeah, so I've gone with a very... I think classic like skate punk song mm-hmm. in uh, no cigar by Millen Colin. Um, my real ones who played Tony Hawk as kids know this song for yes. sure. <laughs> yes. Um, and a day to remember actually did a really decent cover of it, but uh, yeah, so I just have to dedicate this to river plate. They were close, but no cigar. <laughs> um, so that's, that's my first one. The other one I've gone with is a song called locals by Shrezers. They are a Russian like gent like mm-hmm. math core band i don't know what you would call them but the song is like super catchy and has like saxophone in it it's yes weird. i've heard this but song it's really cool that saxophone <laughs> part is is legit too yeah 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 it, like it works it yeah. works and you know the song's called local so i mean it just reminds me of this uh classical that's saudade that we're gonna have for our uh, libertadores final between two locals so love it those are those are mine tell us about yours phil love it uh yeah so i went with a couple of songs these are like kind of from a sa- a similar area of like the scene i guess um in terms of like metalcore sort of 
um, offerings. But uh, the first is by a band called In Hearts Wake from Australia. And uh, it's a song called Traveler the Fool. And uh, in this case, it the Traveler was, was uh, well, all the South American teams for the Libertadores and the fool was <laughs> Frank Fabra. Um, so yeah, uh, no, it's just a really, really good song. Nice little catchy, uh, bridge, um, that has a really cool part that I always get, get pretty hype about. And then, um, I did another one by a band called crown the empire. Um, a lot of, a lot of teams are playing with like mixed availability of players and you know, we've seen like cup games played by under 18 sides and all that stuff. So I chose their song makeshift chemistry, um, which (laughs) is all of these teams are playing with these makeshift lineups and trying to find some semblance of chemistry and, and try to get on. So that was, uh, that was (laughs) that one. And, uh, there's a line in this one for those who do listen. Um, there's a part in this one that you won't be able to miss um, that is my, my, my mental image of Esteban Ostojic, uh, doing his VAR in the, uh, in the river, uh, Palmeiras game, um, as the river players are complaining, his response is a very noticeable part of the song and you will not be able to miss it. So, that's uh oh it, it gave me a little it gave me a little chuckle uh when i pictured this uh this moment so anyways um <laughs> that's uh <laughs> that's that what uh i don't know are we uh are we missing anything we've got just another big weekend of of football ahead of us indeed we do yeah all i would say is um give us a a rating if the the podcast platform you listen on allows it um, five stars, preferably. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, fo- uh, you know, like Phil said at the top of the show, follow us on Twitter. We love interacting with you all and just shooting the shit. This, I mean, today during the the Rome Derby, I had someone like low key threatening Roger Banya's life in the mentions. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's just great to talk to to everyone about about footy. So get at us. Yeah, absolutely. And if um. Yeah, if you leave reviews, we actually do read them, um, and I feel like we should—I feel like we should read them like on air. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone drags us, I'm sure we will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so hopefully you guys have enjoyed, and we will—we uh, will catch you next time. Stay safe, everybody, and just enjoy your weekend. Peace.